what's today's date? Josephina, it's Pi Day. Of course, it's March 14th. And when does spring start? Uh, March 20th. But why do you ask? Well then, what they say about spring being baby season simply isn't true because we have three new babies on tour just this week. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So, today is March 14th, and as Shravya mentioned already, it's Pi Day. So, 3.143-14, March 14th. And not only that, but it's also Daylight Savings Time changing day, so a lot happening. So, Josephine and I, where we play tennis, they have these clocks on every single court. And it is, like, notorious of them to never show the right time. Sometimes, like, the hour will be off. Um, but more typically, it's just that each of them is like a minute or like two minutes or three minutes off. But like literally none of them say the same time ever. So Josefina and I on Saturday, because we had tennis on Saturday, were like, and I have tennis on Sunday too. And Josefina comes on some other days during the week. But Saturday is the class that we kind of have together. And it was uh, the day right before daylight savings. So I made a little joke to Josefina. I was like, how much do you want to bet that tomorrow they won't have fixed any of the clocks or like they'll have tried to fix them but like their times would be all you know a little bit off from each other and josephina was like well you see you said that they probably they probably would be slightly messed up right yeah so and I, they, I, yeah they even changed it a day early and it was confusing me so much yeah there was one on one court they had switched the clock um one day early as you said and josephina kept asking me like is that the right time? She was, like, so confused. I was like, oh, don't worry. I think it's just them messing up the clocks again. Oh, just an entire hour off. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, but um, surprisingly, I went in today and all the clocks were perfect. So wow. that has literally never happened before. But aside from that, it is also very clearly an early baby season on the uh, both the WTA and ATP tours. Because we had quite a bit of baby news um, this past week. So first off, starting with Taylor Townsend. She actually shared on her Instagram story a couple days ago that she was going into labor. And she actually gave birth to a baby boy today, which is really exciting. Uh, Well, today, yesterday, I'm not exactly sure. But that's very exciting. Um, We know she's, you know, definitely uh, been a really great presence on the WTA tour um, if you've not heard of her, she's an American tennis player. She's kind of known for her serve and volleying, um, which is very uncommon on the WTA side. But super happy news for her. And, um, I mean, exciting to, to bring a baby boy into her into her life now. 
And then we also have Andy Murray. You might have heard of him. He's the former world British world number one and world wor- number one in general, and also three-time Grand Slam champion. So his publicist said that he is withdrawing from Dubai this week slash next week after his wife, Kim Sears, gave birth to their fourth child. And it's unclear on the gender because, like, Murray is notoriously very private about his family life, so not a lot was said about this, but they already have three other children, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and now a newborn, so definitely a busy family. Yeah, they're matching the number of kids that Federer has, so they could have some pretty epic playdates if they wanted to. Um, But the last bit of baby news is that Brenda Patea, who is Alexander Zverev's ex-girlfriend, gave birth to her daughter, Myla, just a couple days ago so um kind of if you look back a few months ago to when the Olya Sharapova allegations came out just a couple days before that Brenda Patea announced that she was pregnant and um uh Zverev also confirmed that it was she's pregnant with his kid uh it's unclear on kind of what the custody situation is gonna be um because initially I think Patea had said that she doesn't want Zverev in her uh, in, in the child's life, but um, Zverev s- said stuff that, you know, uh, implied otherwise. Alexander Zverev, well, you know, based on Sharapova's allegations, is not someone who I would want to have around Brenda, Brenda's child, but um, he's in Acapulco right now for the ATP tournament up, uh, coming up, and he posted something on his, like, Instagram story that was, like, um, I don't know, something about, like, a special, like, today's a special day or something like that on the same day that Milo was born. So, um, he's in Acapulco right now, but great news and congratulations to Brenda uh, for that. So, definitely a lot of babies in the tennis world this week. Three, two, one. So, moving on to the tennis world we have a lot going on what was there like five tournaments this past week and yeah, then I think so five more coming up next week um yeah a lot going on so let's start off with doha or the qatar exxon mobile open the atp 250 where the final was nicolas basilashvili defeating roberto batista gut seven six six two this pains me to listen to. Yeah, so this is Vasilis Vili's fourth ATP Tour title, and he won only two out of his 16 last matches before this and defeated Federer en route and saved a match point in that match. We don't talk about that, Josefina. It's just the facts, the sad, sad facts. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've been talking a lot about sort of Basilashvili's um, domestic abuse, uh, domestic violence case. Uh, he was, you know, charged with it. Uh, he arrested had to pay bail. For it. He was arrested. He went to jail. Hearings are ongoing in Georgia. So this is very much a serious situation um, that we have not seen the tennis media seeming to be taking seriously, especially men in tennis media, because, you know, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. And, like, all the most followed male tennis journalists haven't been saying anything about it. If anything, they've been implying praise for Basilashvili for overcoming those issues. Although I will say, Tumaini Cariel and Ben Rothenberg are two who actually do uh, highlight Basilashvili's uh, ongoing case, especially Tumaini. So that we appreciate. But 
Um, Basila Shvili said about uh, the match, I was feeling good on the court. I was playing the last half a year with a lot of stress in my body. Oh my god, ridiculous. This guy is ridiculous. I was not able to put 100% on the court in any matches. This week I somehow found a way to deal with the stressful moments. I'm very happy to get through the title. All right, great great for you, Nicholas. No one cares. Um, but also, like, not only the you know, lack of reporting on his case or kind of, like, ignoring it. In fact, a lot of the wording that's being used by, you know, the mainstream tennis media, whether it be commentators during his matches or, like, social, like, those, you know, big social media accounts has been really insensitive and offensive to not only just domestic violence victims, but literally anyone who cares about his case. So, for example, Tennis Channel tweeted something. They ended up deleting this tweet, but they tweeted something that that said, uh, right before the final, can the Georgian bash his way to the title in Doha? And what, like, why would they think that the usage of the word bash was the best word that they could use for this? You know, considering, you know, his case. Then, we talked about this in our last episode, but, you know, commentators also kept using phrases like, um, you know, he's such a hard hitter or things like that to describe his game when they really could have just done, you know, said it in any other manner. And, you know, to give an example of how people are so ignorant of, uh, his situation and kind of want to, you know, phrase it as like, to like in a way of praise, there was a tweet by, um, Jose Morgado. This is just a small example. I mean, you could find many other examples of this where he said, incredible what a bit of confidence can do to a player, uh, referring to Basilashvili. So, you know, there are many more examples aside from just this, but it's really disgusting to see, um, you know, people talking about him in that way. It's not only the fact that they're praising him in the manner where the wording is extremely unfortunate and ignorant, it's the fact that they're praising him without acknowledging the worst about the whole situation like even in his quote that shravia read out played with a lot of stress in my body in the last year and a half that's exactly what these commentators were saying during his match that he overcame his personal problems in order to make it um through to this title it's just ridiculous that they're just acknowledging the success without talking about what he truly went through and what he's still going through and what he should be arrested again for yeah and i mean people like it's the same kind of wording and phrasing about like praising the player for over you know dealing with that quote-unquote off-court stuff um with zverev like they talk about alexander zverev in the same way and you know the the real thing is is that we talked about this more in our last episode and also in the the episode that was right after the zverev allegations um, so you can tune into those as well for, you know, a more in-depth discussion of this. But what the ATP needs to do is develop a domestic violence policy. They've been so, you know, they don't, they've been so, you know, passive. stepping away, passive. Like, they don't want anything to do with this situation because these are their players, you know, like, especially someone like Alexander Zverev who has, you know, a really high ranking, a big fan base. Like, they don't want, you know, the, he's like a moneymaker for them. And also it reflects badly on the ATP and the sport. But if you're going to sit there and do nothing, I mean... Exactly. What to does the vast majority, say about the yeah. values of tennis? 
literally. So they need to be developing a domestic violence policy. It is present in a lot of other professional sports. And shame on the ATP for not having one and for not, you know, having any repercussions or some sort of, you know, Not even a statement. Yeah. And their statements have been, like, trash. They're so... They're, they're they never just, said anything about Basilashvili. They said something yeah, about... Yeah, for for Zverev, Zverev, it, yeah, for Zverev, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's just a trash organization um, that <laughs> needs a lot of reform. Yeah, so let's talk about the finalists who we're just going to pretend won. The real winner of this tournament, exactly. exactly. Roberto Bautista Gut, who was playing for his 10th title and was on a nine-match winning streak on the ATP 250 tour since early 2019, and it was still a great tournament for him. He defeated Dominic Thiem and Andre Rublev en route to the final. That's big. So those are definitely big wins and really show what he can bring this year. Yeah, and Andre Rublev, who was the defending champion, we talked about him getting those two consecutive walkovers. He lost to Batista Gut. Maybe fair that he lost, given that he had so much of that luck in those first two matches. Um, but either way, Rublev is one of those on fire uh, players. These the past, you know, over like for the past year. So for RBA to defeat him is a great win. Um, I know Josephina described Rublev as the Sabalenka of the ATP tour at the moment. And honestly, like not only based on like the titles and stuff and like doing really well in those non Grand Slam events, um, but also like their games are kind of similar too. They're also they're really um, you know, aggressive players. So that similarity is there as well. But then another player who did pretty well in Doha was Taylor Fritz making it to the quarterfinals. He should have made the semis if he had defeated uh <laughs> Basilashvili, but alas. Um or whichever round it was. Um, but, you know, Taylor Fritz had a pretty decent run at the Australian Open, too, so he seems to be playing well as, as well. Um, so, yeah, that's it for that ATP 250 event. But now let's talk about Dubai, which was actually a WTA 1000-level event, so a much more important tournament, um, where in the final, Garbinia Muguruza defeated Barbara Krajcikova 7-6-6-3 to win her eighth WTA title, two of which are Grand Slams. And Muguruza, this was her last title. No, her last title came in April of 2019, so it's definitely been a while. But since then, she has reached the Australian Open Finals last year. And just this past week, she reached the Doha WTA Finals. So she's definitely been on the brink of winning, but hasn't really taken it until now. And um, she also said... It doesn't happen often, and I'm excited that it happened now, after a few finals that didn't go my way. A nice relief to be able to hold a champion's trophy. So definitely nice from her. And also, last episode, we had an interesting stat from the WTA Insider, and just a little update to that stat. Now, Muguruza has the most wins as in 18, and finals, now three in 2021 on the WTA, WTA Tour, plus a title now. So she has been on fire this past year, and we really hope that she's going to bring this fire to the rest of the year. Yeah, for the other, uh, the finalist, Barbara Krejcikova, this was her second WTA singles final. She was uh, playing for her first title. Um, And, you know, she's a really accomplished doubles player. She just won the mixed doubles Australian Open title with Rajiv Ram. She's had, like, a lot of success on uh, the doubles tour you know before that too 
Um, she's actually ranked number seven in doubles and number 38 in singles. Um, and she also, you know, not only winning the mixed doubles tournament at the Australian Open, she made the women's doubles final. So a very accomplished doubles player, and it's nice to see her making that same rise on the single side of the tour and if you've been following kind of the WTA for the past six months or so that rise has been definitely very steady and consistent so she's also someone to say if you know she becomes one of those players who kind of balances it out on both tours maybe you know continuing her double success and playing a little bit less on the single side or maybe you know if her success continues she might switch over to playing more singles and doubles but great to see her continue to have some deep runs. I know that last year, late last year, she also made the Lynn's semifinals, so she's definitely been making it deep in a lot of the more recent and important tour- tours on the WTA tour. Especially and, the hard courts. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's what a lot of the past few months have been, especially with like the weird schedules. And then we also have Jill Teichman, who has definitely been showing up this year. This is her second consecutive semifinal this year after making the Adelaide semifinals. And before that, she made the Phillips Island Trophy um, quarterfinals. And she's had solid results all year so far, including that. And she also, en route to this semifinal, she defeated Kvitova, Jabour, and Coco Goff. En route, so she's definitely been playing a really solid game, and she's been able to take out top players. Like Kvitova was the fourth seed in this tournament, and Goff had beaten her two times already just this year, and she was able to overcome that um, bad kind of momentum and um, just get to the semifinals and really show up. So next up, we have Marseille, the ATP 250 tournament also. And the final was Medvedev defeating Pierre-Hugues Herbert 6-7-6-4. So we actually really like this final. Definitely a final that we could be happy about, unlike some other one. Uh, And Medvedev, this is his 10th ATP tour level title. Six out of 10 of those have been at indoor hardcourt tournaments. And he said, I'm really happy about the number 10. It gets me to two digits, something which I dreamt of when I was a kid. So this kid's, um, not this kid, this guy making all his dreams come true. How nice. And also speaking of making dreams come true, what a way to celebrate rising to world number two. It's a day early, but still, he's going to be world number two on Monday. And he said about that, I'm really happy. I knew that I would become number to no matter what on Monday, it is always better when you step up the rankings when you do something great. I know that winning here didn't give me the points to become number two, but it is great for the self-esteem that just before becoming number two on Monday, I win a tournament. So great stuff from him. Yeah, and we've talked about a lot in our past few episodes about how historic this rise to world number two is. A first time in about like 15, 16 years that someone outside of the big four has gotten there. Uh, So very, um, you know, making history and not only looking at the number two spot, but Medvedev actually has a shot of rising to number one later in the season by around August, kind of right right before the U.S. Open swing. And credit to, again, one of our favorite tennis journalists, Tamani Cariel, for highlighting this. We're going to kind of explain to you how this could be possible. So 
Medvedev has very few points to defend on the clay and the grass court seasons and tournaments. Uh, we know that he's not a particularly um, comfortable player on the clay courts. And as Josephine has said, his success has really come on the hard courts, specifically the indoor hard courts. Um, but even if he has a few decent runs, he could rack up a ton of points uh, because he doesn't really have many points to defend. However, the guy currently in the world number one spot does have a lot to defend. So Djokovic is over 2,000 points ahead of him, but like Shavia said, he has a lot more points to defend, like being a Madrid and Rome um, winner last year, a French Open finalist, and also his Wimbledon title. So this is the only opportunity for Djokovic to add points, Miami, Monte Carlo, and just winning the entire French Open. So... Medvedev doesn't necessarily need a slam to get to number one, and we know that he needs some better luck when it comes to grand slams because most of his wins, like Rublev, actually have been on the smaller side of tournaments. He just made the U.S. Open final and the Australian Open. Open. Yeah, but finals, I mean winning them. He definitely has the skill to. But I would say I would say two finals is pretty good, but um he definitely has much much opportunity to um rack up those points in this season. It's hard to like Dominic team has been kind of the only guy outside of the big three plus Stan plus Chilich to really win a Grand Slam title. So it's definitely very difficult for him to do that, which makes this all the more um intriguing because as you said, Medvedev doesn't necessarily need to get a slam to get to world number one. And he has shown that he does have grand slam potential. But again, that's not necessarily required for him to get to number one before the U.S. Open, where Djokovic would have more opportunity to rack up points given his incident there. And, you know, up until then, though, you know, because of in the European swing, as Josefina said, he only has three tournaments where he could add up points, Miami, Monte Carlo, and if he wins Roland Garros, which is pretty unlikely if Rafael Nadal is healthy uh, during then. So I would be super pumped to see uh, Daniel Medvedev in the world number one spot. But speaking a little bit about our finalist, Pierre Hughes-Herbert, I'm a big fan, um, kind of like Krejcikov actually, you know, he's mostly a doubles player, but obviously having single success this week. Um, he made the Australian Open and Rotterdam quarterfinals in doubles this year, number 22 in doubles, number 93 in singles. And he is a four-time doubles Grand Slam champion. He's won one of each slam, so he has the career Grand Slam. He completed the career Grand Slam in 2019 at the Australian Open uh, with his longtime partner, Nicolas Mahou, fellow Frenchman. And this was his first singles tour-level final. And, you know, he was playing some really great tennis, not only in this match, but throughout the tournament. I'm convinced that his hair has magical powers because his hair is freaking awesome. Um, you know, he had a really difficult draw, too. He had Nishikori in the first round. Uh, Tsitsipas, the king of Marseille, uh, in quarter in the quarterfinals. And then Hugo Umbert in the semifinals. So, great run from him as well. And then we have Guadalajara on the WTA side, where Sarah Saribas Tormo defeated Eugenie Bouchard 6-2-7-5, and Tormo was down 5-3 in the second set, so definitely a big win from her, and it really shows what confidence she could bring, and this is her first title, so maybe big things coming. 
Yeah, and you know, what was really nice is that Marie Buskova, who was the number two seed in this tournament, who but who's also Cerebus Tormo's really good friend, ran onto the court right before the trophy ceremony to hug Cerebus Tormo and, you know, congratulate her on her win, which was really cute. So nice to see some great sportsmanship there. Um and yeah, as you said, nice to see to see her take the title. But also pretty big stuff from Eugenie Bouchard as well. Yeah, Bouchard is 1-7 in in finals, but still a great run. She got a wild card into this tournament, and making it this far really means that she made a good use of it. And she's going to jump 28 ranking spots to reach number 116, and her career high ranking is number 5, so I would say she's back on her way up. And then we have Santiago on the ATP side where Christian Guerin won his fifth title and all of his titles so far have been on clay and he reached this fifth title by defeating Fatundo Bagnus 6-4-6-7-7-5 in a tight match. And also this was his home soil. Guerin is Chilean so it's great to see that home spirit and he seems to continue having a lot of success on clay. He has won two titles each year since 2019 definitely under the radar player so but he's been having a lot of success yeah and as you may know he was injured at the start of this year and couldn't play the Australian Open and he had played a couple of tournaments since then before Santiago hadn't won a match yet in 2021 until this tournament again on home soil on clay where he's had a lot of success and he ended up taking the title uh not it wasn't an easy you know, when obviously that final was a very tight match, but um, he's also one of those next-gen players who is only on their way up. So some great runs um, for both uh, Garen uh, and Cerebus Tormo. I will also just add, though, this was a pretty awesome week for Spanish tennis. I mean, we had Muguruza winning the WTA 1000 event. We had Cerebus Tormo winning the Guadalajara tournament. And then we had Bautista Agut making the finals of Doha. So uh, they definitely made their country proud this week. (laughs) Nadal who? (laughs) (laughs) So tennis never wants to give us a break. So just like we had like four or five tournaments this past week, we have another four uh, coming up this week. And starting off with the St. Petersburg Open, which is a WTA 500 level event. And some of our top seeds include Ekaterina Alexandrova, Veronika Kujinritova, Fiona Farrow, and Svetlana Kuznetsova. So three Russians here, definitely kind of expected since the tournament is taking place in Russia and we tend to see a lot of native players in their tournaments but still pretty cool yeah and um, we're gonna give a kind of like a rundown of the top seeds a tiebreaker match that we've picked and then predict our uh, picks for the champion for each of these tournaments so for the tiebreaker um, our first round match the one that we've picked is Clara Towson who came through qualifying and if you recall won the Lyon title just a couple weeks ago versus Daria Kazetkina the eighth seed another Russian and I think this is a really exciting matchup because they have two kind of contrasting game styles Towson is like a really like powerful um, big hitter uh, Kazetkina is you know more uh, has a more variety to her game and kind of you know likes to change things up change pace a bit um 
So I think this is going to be a super interesting match to watch. However, I think given the fact that Towson's been having an amazing past few weeks, as have Danish teens along with Holger Rune, um, but she herself has been having a great past few weeks, a great past few months actually, but especially in the past few weeks where she got that title and, you know, made the ranking jump. And also coming through qualifying has got to give you some extra confidence knowing that you already have a few wins under your belt at the tournament. So that's why I personally am picking her for the win. And I agree with every single thing you just said, so I'm picking Towson too. It always makes me feel so happy when Josephina like <laughs> agrees with my predictions. We're gonna get into this a little bit later too, but because you know she's kind of like the she's the predictions master. So whenever I predict someone and she ends up picking the same person, I always feel really good about myself. But like then again, I picked Stan Wawrinka to win the Australian <laughs> Open, so we don't talk about that one. Um. So for the entire tournament, our um predictions. First, Shravya, you go ahead. Yeah, so I picked Fiona Farrow. Um, I was taking a look at the draw. I was taking a look at players' past results. And um, I was debating between uh, Farrow and Kudermatova because I knew Alexandrova had had pretty shaky results the past few weeks. Purely based on those results more recently is why I picked Farrow. Um, I think that that section of the draw is kind of difficult um, in the top half, but, oh, actually, sorry, I take that back, um, I, I think that section of draw is pretty manageable, actually, for Pharaoh, um, she already has a title under her belt, so she knows how to, um, you know, compete there, and she's also had a, quite a few matches over the past few weeks where she's played pretty high-level opponents and has stretched them a bit, so I think that she's definitely a contender for the title, and that's why I'm picking her for, uh, the winner. And I'm choosing Paula Badosa because I noticed when I was looking at some of her past results, first of all, she made the Lyon semifinals last week, and that's definitely a lot of momentum going into this tournament because that's a solid tournament also. And also, she had quite a long stretch of like deep results, I think around September through October of last year. So I think she definitely has the potential to go deep and even win in this tournament. Yeah, I think this tournament is like a pretty open opportunity. I mean, given that it's a 500 level event, like this is a huge opportunity for all the women in this draw. I will say though, Badosa's first round versus Ostapenko is going to be really interesting. I would pick Badosa to win that match for sure, just because Ostapenko is so unpredictable. And as you said, Badosa has been pretty solid these past few months. But um yeah, definitely some interesting matchups to look out for. And also, I think it's pretty awesome that Kuznetsova is kind of back and playing again. We saw her defeat Svitolina in Dubai just that last week. So I honestly kind of hope to see her, um, you know, make a nice run at this tournament as well. Uh, moving on to the ATP side. That's a line that I feel like we say a lot, moving on to the ATP side. Um, our next tournament is Acapulco, which is an ATP 500 level event. Now... I will forewarn you, I'm gonna read you guys the names of the top seeds in this tournament, and I love all of them, so, and they're pretty likable players, so chances are you love all of them, or most of them too. But that doesn't mean that there are some unfortunate people in this draw as well. So the top seeds are Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, Diego Schwartzman, these are just some of the top seeds, uh, Grigor Dimitrov, and Felix Auger-Aliassime. Now these guys have to save the tournament, because you know who else is in this tournament? Alexander Zverev and John freaking Isner. So 
whatever any player in this draw can do to beat both of them, I will I I will love them forever. And um so Stefano Sitsipas, the first seed, his first match is versus <laughs> Benoit Pair. Oh god. So, so we hope we hope that Sitsipas really comes through on this one. I also think that in addition to um Isner and Zverev being there, so is Tennis Sandgren. And Tennis Sandgren mm-hmm. is, is is playing Felix Ogelius in the first round. So, um, oh, I'm boy, first Felix. or second round. So, I, yeah, there's a lot of trash to take out at this tournament, <laughs> and I hope these guys can do it. Okay, and then some notable names in the qualifying draw include Lorenzo Musetti, definitely a favorite of the Hold On To Your Racket team, and also Tanasi Kokinakis, another one, recently discovered, but still. Josefina and I were talking to one of our tennis coaches the other day, and we were talking about how much we like Kokonakis. And then he started, like, debating with that he wasn't really a fan of Kokonakis. His explanation was kind of weird, but Josefina and I took it to... Personally. We took it personally that he wasn't a Kokonakis fan. So, um... I'd say that makes us pretty much diehard fans. Like, come on, he's turned us over (laughs) since the Australian Open. Maybe not that. I just, I just checked his score though. He lost in three sets in his qualifying (laughs) round match. Okay, so so, as of well, (laughs) as of uh, until this match, we were rooting for him to get through to the uh, into the main draw. Have we still got? But. Musetti's still in. I think okay, he's qualified okay. by now. He won both. Oh my gosh. Musetti's in the main draw of an ATP 500 level event. That makes me so happy. Let's go. Let's go. Rooting. I'm okay. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people to root for in this tournament. There's a lot of people to root against, too. Yeah, I mean, the top half is stacked. We have Tsitsipas, Marin Cilic, Sebastian Korda. That's definitely a name. The OG Dark Horse. Yep. Yep. And we have Felix Auger, Eliasim, Diego Schwartzman, Kevin Anderson, and Grigor Dimitrov, who Travia made me a fan of recently, honestly. Yeah, we're not going to go into exactly how Josephina became a fan of his. It has to do with a particular Instagram story, but we're not going to go into that. If you're if you uh, followed Dim- Grigor Dimitrov on Instagram, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not that shallow. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'm glad that she's on the Dimitrov train now. He's kind of he's one of those people who just like you can't not like. Yeah, he's um, likable, I guess. Josefina yeah. and I know like we've we've we had Petros on the podcast a few weeks ago and he said you know he works in the locker room at the u.s open we have a couple other coaches who do that as well and they actually were sharing some of their memories and um including of dimitrov and had a lot of nice things to say about him so yet another reason to be a fan so i'm glad you're joining the train um our tiebreaker match for this tournament is carlos alcaraz versus alexander zverev i don't think we need to go into who we are rooting for in this match it's definitely the spaniard but the reason we picked this one is because carlos alcaraz has just been on the rise these past few months um He's, you know, the young the Spaniard. He's, you know, had a lot of success on clay, but he also qualified for the Australian Open this year, which is big. Um, so I think it'll be really exciting to see how he does versus Verev. Um, I have hope that he can give him trouble and can challenge him. I mean, but we'll see. But I, I think that'll be an exciting one to watch. Well, exciting one to watch for one particular player. Yeah, and with the hope that that one particular player 
takes out the other particular player. Exactly. Uh, and as for champion predictions, again, we'll have Shravya go first. Yeah, so I'm, I hate to say it, but looking at the draw, Alexander Zverev has by far the easier half. I mean, Josefina was just talking about how the top half is stacked, and Zverev's in the bottom half. So, you know, he does seem to have, an, like, maybe a path to get to the final, but I refuse to pick him as the winner. So I am going to say that Grigor freaking Dimitrov is going to win this entire tournament. And now, just as I was, you know, typing down my prediction into our GDoc, I scroll down and I see literally Josephina having typed that too. I didn't see it before. And I got so excited because as I was just saying, whenever I see that Josephina's predicted the same person that I have, I get really, I feel really validated. So... Yep, and as you said, I am picking Grigor Dimitrov because when you look at the draw, he kind of has this middle chunk that's kind of easy to, not easy to get through, but it's something that I think He's he can handle. Yeah. Exactly. So I feel like he could really sneak through the middle of this one. Yeah, see, just, I'm I'm just excited to watch Josephine root for him in this tournament. <laughs> and then we have Dubai, another ATP 500 and some of the top seeds here include Dominic Thiem, Andre Rublev, Denis Shapovalov, Roberto Bautista Agu. So this tournament, as like the other one, is also stacked. We have a lot of big names kind of spread out across the ATP tournaments here, which is interesting. And then other notable names include Alex Demenor, David Goffin. Um, I forgot his first name. <laughs> Just, it's 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 as you can tell it's late at night when Josephina forgets Borna George's first name. I was gonna say Boren. <laughs> <laughs> at least I got the first three letters right. Um, yeah. And Yannick Sinner, yay! Yeah, I think uh, we're just gonna be excited to see Shapovalov back in the blue outfit again. That is a top tier outfit. I know tennis footer is going crazy over that outfit. But this tournament has actually already started. We've had a few first-round matches already played. So some notable results so far include Nishikori defeating Riley Opelka in three sets, and then Karatsev, Bublik, and Alexei Poprin are all through in straight sets. Uh, and unfortunately, Joe Wilfred Songa had to retire from his first-round match, which was sad to see, especially since he's just coming back from injury. And then Taylor Fritz and Nicholas Vasilashvili are having a rematch of their Doha matchup in the second round of this tournament. So Taylor Fritz, please get your revenge. Yeah, um, and like you said, there's quite a few matchups already that have caught our attention. And like going on to the tiebreakers where we kind of choose some of our favorite matches but here there are so many good matches like for example we have Nishikori versus David Goffin, Alexei Popperin versus Karen Kachanov, Karatsev versus Evans and we've picked Sinner versus Bublik which is a second round match because honestly we've talked about how even though Bublik is kind of controversial on tour we're we're fans like we're okay yeah. with him yeah, I there's I mean, I would consider us fans, but I would not even bring us close to um, yeah, saying how big uh how how the the Bublik fans on tennis Twitter. There are some crazy Bublik crazy in a good way. Bublik fans on tennis Twitter, they get really hyped about his wins and stuff, which is obviously amazing to see, and I'm happy he has that following. But as far as predictions for this match, I'm going to go with 
uh, Yannick Sinner. I know we were talking about his match versus Medvedev in our last episode, and we kind of were saying that, yeah, Yannick hasn't really had that many solid results since his title run um, in the, I think it was the Murray River Open. Um, but I, I think, but Bublik also recently lost right after reaching the finals of, of Singapore. So I think that Yannick Sinner is in a pretty decent position to, um, challenge Bublik, but it's kind of a toss up with this one. Yeah, I agree with you on picking Sinner, but I feel like Bublik is the type of player that could honestly just up and win this one out of nowhere. So that's why we're... I would be totally fine with... I would be fine with Bublik winning the whole thing, though. Like, honestly. Like, if he won the entire tournament, I wouldn't be mad. Honestly, who if somebody from this one matchup wins the entire tournament, we're fine. That's As long as Nicolas Basilashvili doesn't make it past the first round, this tournament is A-OK. As far as who we're picking for the champion, I am basic, and since this is an ATP 500 level event, I am picking Andre Rublev. Don't even listen to my ATP champion predictions at this point, except for my uh, Acapulco one, because I ended up picking the same one as Josefina. Um, my ATP champion predictions are always either wrong, or they always end up doing really well, and then get to the final, and then lose. Um, so... <laughs> The reason I'm picking Andre Rublev is like, hey, first of all, Doha was weird. He got those two walkovers. RBA was playing amazing. And, like, that was just an odd situation. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he's still, like, red hot on tour. Like, he, you know, already has a title this year. He had those five titles last year. King of ATP 500 level events. So, I am just... that I, I gotta give my pick to this guy. And, you know what? I'm actually gonna pick the other redhead on tour. Yannick Sinner. Oh, yes. I love that you put it that way. <laughs> and like we said, we have that Sinner versus Bublik match in the second round. So already some interesting matchups on his end. But I feel like he has the potential to make it through. I mean, we've seen him do it before. I'm sure he could do it again. Can he do it here so that I can be right again? That's the <laughs> question. And then moving on to a WTA event, we have Monterey. 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 Sure. (laughs) (laughs) A WTA 250 event. And here, some of the top seeds include Sloane Stevens. Yay, she's back. And Nadia Podoroska. Jang Sasai. And Marie Marie Buskova. I should be able to pronounce that name. That's my middle name. I just pronounced... (laughs) Okay. Buskova is your middle name? No. Oh, I see you made a joke. I made a joke. I see. She didn't. She didn't appreciate joke. my joke. I did. Now. I'm laughing. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for the tiebreaker match, we have picked Coco Vandeweghe versus Layla Fernandez. Coco Vandeweghe got a wild card into this tournament. She's been out with injury uh, for a while now, so it'll be interesting to see her back. Obviously, a former Australian Open semifinalist. Uh, so she's definitely made her waves on the WTA tour in the past few years. So good that she's back. Layla Fernandez, on the other hand, the young Canadian, she's been making a steady rise up the rankings. Um, inter- I'm picking Fernandez to win this match uh, because Coco Vanderway is coming back from injury. Unclear as to how she'll do. So I just think with that in mind, I'll give the edge to Fernandez. But nevertheless, I think it's still... You know, we picked it as a tiebreaker because I think it'll still be interesting to watch. And I agree with that. I feel 
um, Coco definitely has, um, obviously the potential to be a great player, but as she is coming back from injury, I don't think it's right to expect such a big win from her just yet. She definitely has time to come and settle back into the tour and really get back into the groove of things. So yeah, I'm going to pick Layla Hernandez, Fernandez. Josephine is having a rough, a rough night today with these pronunciations. (laughs) For our champ predictor, I am picking with the hotter OG young dark horse pick. Well, really, it was Josephina's pick in the first ever episode of our podcast. And Lee, she's the eighth seed in this tournament. We talked about her near the end of last year. How she made a step? Or actually, no, we talked about her in the or this year too. When I think she had a pretty decent run at the Australian Open. Um, but yeah, she's just been doing great the past few months. Um, so I think that, I think that, you know, we saw Clara Towson, you know, take that title in Lyon. I don't think it's out of the picture for someone like Anne Lee to do it either. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure she also recently broke into the top 100, another yep. big step. Mm-hmm. And the thing is for her that breaking into the top 100 is a big deal because she is only on her way up. She hasn't um she's probably dropped a few ranking points but nothing significant she's just been on her way up in the rankings on tour and really just um becoming a great player so i'm agreeing with shravi on this one that always makes me happy (laughs) well we got a packed week of tennis ahead uh we'll be back with a new episode later in the week to kind of uh check back in into all these tournaments josephina if you had to pick one player you're super excited to watch this week one tournament uh one thing in the tennis world not necessarily tournament or match related what would you pick um i think honestly the men's dubai is looking pretty interesting so far so i'd say that one i'm excited to see who comes out the winner Yeah, I think we had a really exciting week of WTA tennis with the Dubai 1000 event last week. I think this week I'm kind of more inclined to be keeping an eye on Acapulco and Dubai on the ATP side as well. Um, I am thrilled that Musetti is in the main draw. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know, like that was such good news to see. So I'm going to be rooting for him and uh, hopefully he can pull off a, a good run here. And since you found that out while we were recording just now, <laughs> we had kind of a this just in moment. I thought that was funny. It was funny. We're we're just that we're just that cool that like that. Yeah, we're so entertaining. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for this episode. And as we said, we are going to be back later in the week to check in on all the action because the tennis action just never seems to stop. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the tournaments this week and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released on Friday where we will be checking in on all the action on all four tournaments going on this week. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please 
Tell your friends my name is Ben and Shravi's name is Harry. See you next time.